It's your time to Ed Up with America's leading higher education podcast network, the Ed Up Experience, where we make education your business. This is Ed Up Legal with your host, Patty Roberts. She's Dean at St. Mary's School of Law, and she's going to be leading conversations about legal education in today's world. Now let's hear from your host, Patty Roberts. Hi, this is Patty Roberts from EdUp Legal. I'm at St. Mary's University School of Law, and today I'm interviewing Camille M. Davidson. She's Dean and Professor of Law at Southern Illinois University School of Law. And she, similarly to myself, started deaning in the pandemic, the early days of the pandemic, July 2020. Um, she became dean after serving as a judicial hearing officer for the state of North Carolina and as a tenured law professor and associate dean for academic affairs and faculty development in Charlotte, North Carolina. Welcome, Dean Davidson. Thank you so much, Dean Roberts. Well, we were just discussing before we started recording how the job starting to feel at least a little bit like, uh, more like we thought it would when we first applied to be deans, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I tell you, in the beginning, we got a lot more than we bargained for, and we all leaned into each other. So it is very exciting to have our first normal year, right, after two years of deaning as pandemic deans. That's exactly right. We got a lot more than we bargained for and a lot less in a lot of ways. For sure, for sure. <laughs> less student contact, less That's right. staff. That's yeah. right. No, I much prefer this, right? For sure, for sure. It's a lot more fun. It is a lot more fun. And you're getting to have a fun year because Southern Illinois University, SIU, is celebrating its 50th anniversary, right? Absolutely, yes. And we kicked off everything last week, actually. Southern Illinois University School of Law has 166 alums who are serving in the judiciary or, judiciary or have served as judges. And so last week, we actually celebrated them all and unveiled our wall of judges. And it was so nice to see them all in the building, interacting with one another and with students and looking at photographs from 1976 and beyond, just a wonderful evening. And we thought what better way to celebrate the legacy of the founding Dean and the mission of the School of Law, which was founded in the public interest to serve the public good. And what better way to showcase that than to show the 166 alums who are serving the public as judges. I love that you have a wall of judges. That's terrific. And is that something that SIU has been planning on for a long time or just that it's something that came about because of the 50th anniversary? So when I arrived in 2020, one of the things that I heard over and over was the number of alumni who were judges. And I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. What can we do to celebrate them and showcase them? And we implemented a newsletter pretty early on after I arrived, a quarterly newsletter. And we started to showcase students and faculty um, and even staff and some alumni. And we thought this is just not, we're not going to get through 166 people <laughs> at that rate. So we thought, let's just plan an evening. And that was our kickoff event to kick off the 50th 
anniversary celebration. So for the next 12 months or so, we will continue with activities throughout the region. We will culminate with a gala and the gala will actually be in the spring of 24 as opposed to the fall of 23 because we will also plan homecoming events around the anniversary year as well. Well, that's really exciting. And I'm so glad that you're able to do all of these activities, not on Zoom. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We got savvy with Zoom, but it's way more fun to be out and about going through the region and meeting people in person and hearing their narratives and all about why they chose to go to law school and why they chose SIU School of Law. So it's been a lot of fun. Excellent. Well, when I think about your your history and your own journey to the deanship and the fact that you have been a tenured law professor and associate dean, great training ground, certainly for being a dean, and then a judicial hearing officer, what is it that prompted you when you did apply to be a dean? And, and why is it that you think that your experience has served you well as a dean? So sure, that's a funny question because I was actually the person who was the child of educators who never ever thought she was going to go into education. My father was a college professor and my mother was a high school teacher. And so I went to law school. I was going to practice law and I did practice law for a long time. But the academic bug, education bug kept sort of finding its way into my life. And so even when I was practicing law, I taught adjunct. I taught at Davidson College for a few years before I entered the legal academy. And one of the things that sort of was my segue into the legal academy was I did not want to go back to school and get a PhD. So I knew that I wasn't going to do the traditional route. So I started to teach adjunct as a law professor and started out teaching legal writing. And I enjoyed that so much, I decided to interview for full-time faculty positions. And that was an amazing career, a wonderful opportunity to write and think and teach and get to know students in an amazing way. And I reluctantly took on the role of Associate Dean for Academic Affairs after serving as Associate Dean for Faculty Development. I love scholarship and just sharing with my colleagues the importance of scholarship and listening to them and presenting at conferences and all of those wonderful things. But I was re reluctant to take on the role of Associate Dean for Academic Affairs because it is often called the whipping post, <laughs> for lack of a better word, of, of the institution. It's a hard job. It's a heavy lift. <laughs> I had never heard that term, but having done the job, <laughs> I think that is very accurate. Right, 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 right. Yeah. It's a heavy lift. And so I did that for a very long time. And after doing the associate dean role for a long time, I thought, why not throw my hat in to try a deanship, right? At least this would give me the opportunity to set the vision for a school and work with faculty and staff and students to implement that vision. And it's just been so much fun. My priorities when I came into this institution were to work on branding. So many people did not even know that the university had a school of law. To also look at issues of diversity, 
and begin to build that pipeline of students who are interested in the practice of law. We are a, a small regional school. And one of the things that I've always said is that you can't really teach people to be from somewhere, but you can train people so that they are able to serve their community. And so I really have spent a lot of time as have some of my faculty and students with building that pipeline throughout the community. So going to high schools and talking with high school students. Today, a state senator has his high school student advisory council here at the law school. And there's about 90 or so students that I chatted with this morning. And so helping them understand what it is that attorneys do. I asked the question, what do you think of when you think of a lawyer? And most of them started to scream out loud, when I get in trouble, when I get in trouble. And so they automatically go to criminal law. And so when I was able to share with them that I was actually a health lawyer and an estates and trust attorney, and we talked about everything from education law to landlord tenant law, I'm hoping that I'm opening minds and helping them look at and think about what it is that they want to do post high school graduation. And so it's just exciting to be able to explore with young people and share with them all that lawyers do. I agree completely. And I'm sure you are aware of the study that I regularly cite to people as we expand our pipeline efforts, um, the before the JD study, where it was shown that so many students who end up going to law school had decided on law school so much earlier than college. And so we've got to get in front of them, both those who are thinking of it and those who would never think of it to ensure that they put this as a, something on their list of possibilities. Absolutely. There are, there's a world of students out there, young people out there who just have no idea of the possibilities that are out there for them. One of our colleagues says, it's not what you can do with a law degree. It's what can't you do with, wait, yes. <laughs> it's what can't you do with a law degree. And that's what I actually said to the students today. I said, well, I'm going to share with you all of the jobs that I've had. Yeah. Because when I was younger, my, my dad, who has now passed away, used to say, you don't stay in one career. You just pivot every seven years. And I said, because you can. Why, why stay when there's so much out there to explore? Absolutely. So I've done a lot of different things from private practice to judicial hearing officer, to teaching, to law school administrator, to working on Capitol Hill, all with that one JD degree. And so that's what I share with students. That's right. It's a, an amazing ticket to so many things, really the sky's the limit with a law degree. So you're exactly right. Now, your summer programs, your pipeline programs, are those also with high school students? Those are with undergraduate students. And we had our inaugural program this past summer. We had 15 students from all over the country come to campus. And for a week, they did everything from have class, mock classes to learn about the admissions process and the finances associated with going to law school. We are continuing to work with those students as they sit for the LSAT and begin the application process. This past year, our inaugural program was about half rising juniors and half rising seniors. At the end of the program, 13 of the 15 said they were ready to apply to law school, that they knew for certain that they wanted to go to law school. Two students were on the fence. 
but they were from all over the country, from New York to Mississippi to Missouri, Tennessee, Alabama, North Carolina. So it's exciting to work with them. That's great. And you've, in addition to that summer program, you've established a partnership with Governor State for pipeline initiatives. And can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So as I said earlier, we've been looking at and being very deliberate about building partnerships with schools that have students who have similar indicators to our student population. We want to train this population of students and give them an opportunity to go to not only apply to law school, but to be successful in law school. To that end, we have recently implemented three partnerships. One is with Governor State University in Chicago land. It is a minority serving institution. And the other two are Tougaloo College in Mississippi and Stillman College in Alabama. And both of those schools are HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities. And so it was important for us because we recognize and know that the population of Latin, Latino, Latina attorneys and African-American attorneys still hovers around four and a half percent, much less than the general population of those populations of people. And so we wanted to make a deliberate attempt to begin to create partnerships so that we can engage with students early on to help them explore their options. Nothing happens by accident. Everything happens whether you do something intentionally or you ignore something. And so this was our way of being very deliberate about reaching a population of students who may or may not have been interested in law, but giving some opportunities for them to grow and understand. And so in each of the partnerships, we work with faculty and students at each of the schools. Each of the schools also send students to our summer pipeline program. And each of, and two of the three schools, we have a three plus three program. So the last year of undergraduate will count as their first year of law school should they meet the admissions criteria to gain acceptance into law school. So we are excited about the three plus three options as well because that of course saves both time and money. And those things are often what prevent some students from going down the pathway to law school. We know that it is, a, it is an expensive journey. And so to the extent we can provide some of those resources with these partnerships, <clears throat> that's important for us as well. That's really outstanding. And uh, I love hearing about the three plus three programs because of course it helps craft a, a pathway, but also saves a year of tuition, which is, is so essential for the students we serve. You mentioned in addition to the pipeline that you've had very intentional efforts with diversification of the profession. And I assume your, your student body and faculty, can you tell us a little bit more about the diversity efforts that you have underway at SIU? Yes. So one of the things that I am most proud of is a Healing Illinois grant that we received during COVID to look at and explore the history of Southern Illinois. And one of our faculty members is the former Lieutenant Governor of the state, Professor Sheila Simon, and she worked with a group of students to record that history 
of the state. And it's so important to know where you're from or what has happened in the past, because that helps you inform the future and know what progress has been made and what progress continues to need to be made. She also chairs our diversity, equity, and inclusion committee. And as a faculty, we have the committee, but it also has both students and staff on the committee as well. And one of the first things that we did when I arrived was make a public statement as a faculty, an anti-racism statement, and a diversity, equity, and inclusion statement. And this was important for me personally, because I believe that it set the tone for the institution to show that we are inclusive, that we value all people, all races, all religions, diversity of thought, sexual orientation, gender. And those are so important because that is what makes the classroom experience a rich experience. And so I was excited that the faculty together came together and wrote this wonderful statement, actually two statements, and they're both on our website. And so I also polled the first year students when I arrived and asked them how they came to SIU. And overwhelmingly, the students that we had knew us because of a family connection or a friend connection. And so I said to my admissions director, let's figure out how we introduce ourselves to people who don't know us. We're good with the people who already know us, but we need to take ourselves and put ourselves in spaces where people don't know us, can know and understand what's going on here. We sit in Illinois, but we are actually closer to Memphis, Tennessee and Nashville, Tennessee and St. Louis, Missouri, than we are to Chicago. So when we went out on the road, people tend to think Chicago and Illinois are the same thing, right? And so we're, yes. no, 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 hold on, hold tight. We sit in this interesting space where we are four hours from Indianapolis, three hours from Memphis, three hours from Nashville, two hours from Missouri, one hour from Paducah, Kentucky, and two hours from Evansville, Indiana. And so that's how we've sort of drawn our region as we begin to look at and reach out deliberately to individual institutions, to students, to show them where we, where we are and the opportunities that we have to offer. Well, that fits hand in hand with the priority that you had when you arrived that you needed to improve the branding for SIU. And so can you share how you want SIU to be known? What, did it, what is the branding that, uh, that you think reflects the kind of experience you're offering at SIU School of Law? Absolutely. SIU is a small nurturing institution where you gain the practical skills that are necessary to hit the ground running when you graduate from law school. We emphasize the practical training along with the Socratic and theory to the learning experience. We offer four wonderful clinics where our students can serve the community. It's a region that needs legal assistance. And so our elder law clinic, for example, serves the 16 southernmost counties in the state of Illinois, where some of those counties only have one or two attorneys, if that many at all. And so we're just excited that our students are able to 
both serve the community while they are getting the skills that they need to succeed as attorneys. This year, this semester, we kicked off our program in the Metro East area of Illinois, which is a stone's throw from the St. Louis metropolitan area. And so we kicked it off with a criminal justice semester away program this year. So our students are working in both federal offices and state offices, state's attorney's offices, and they are living in Belleville. They are interacting with the community. That area has the highest concentration of attorneys outside of Chicagoland. So we wanted to provide our students with the place and opportunity where they could be within reach of members of the profession and practice areas that they may be interested in when they graduate from law school. So if I'm a student participating in this track or this year, uh, this new satellite experience in the Metro East region, what does that look like for me from a curricular standpoint? From a curricular standpoint, the students who are practicing there are required to have the 711 license in the state of Illinois so that they can practice law under the supervision of a licensed attorney. The on-site faculty that we have are two, two faculty members. One is a judge, and she actually is the judge of teen court right now, and another is a practicing attorney. And so they are supervising um, the students and teaching the course component. And then the students are working nine hours, working and earning nine credit hours, excuse me, they are earning nine credit hours through their externship placement. And then they're taking two classes and the classes are either pre-trial, trial practice um, and a social justice elective. So those are the classes that they have the opportunity to take. And we're looking at expanding the program. This is the first semester, so we were really excited to kick it off. We do have an amazing director of experiential education, Shelly Page, who has been intimately involved with all of the players in that area and how they are just embracing our students um, and embracing the curriculum. And she, presented at our faculty meeting last week and said there was one student who was extremely shy when he started the program and she happened to be at the courthouse I think a few weeks ago and the person at the front desk didn't know who she was or didn't recognize her and this particular student stepped in and said she's with me and had all of the skill and poise and comfort of an attorney in training and just to see that growth was really just exciting and amazing. That's terrific. Really great uh, learning through practice. Um, well, good luck with that. I look forward to, to hearing about the, uh, the success of the continued growth of that program. Before we get to the, the question that I ask all of our guests, I wonder if you can tell me about population science and policy. I see that you teach that at SIU School of Medicine and tell us a little bit about what's included in that course. So I actually have a joint appointment in the Department of Population Science and we do a uh, focus on rural health, but um, SIU actually has a joint JD MD, and we were one of the first in the country to have that joint JD MD. 
And so that was actually one of the things that attracted me to the institution as a health law scholar. In addition to the JDMD, we host the National Health Law Moot Court Competition. And then with the Department of Population Sciences, we host the law school and the Southern Illinois Healthcare, which is the hospital um, system and the School of Medicine Department of Population Science. We host a health law summit each summer. And so when I arrived, we of course tackled COVID. So that was the, that was the topic of our, our upcoming uh, series is um, dealing with rural health issues and issues associated with rural health. In addition, we have the Veterans Legal Assistance Project. It's our Veterans Affairs Clinic. And we have both medical students and law students working on issues so the law students look at the law side, their workers' compensation cases for veterans. And so the medical students look at the medical records and the law students look at the legal records. And so, so those are some of the things that, that we do. We will also host a professionalism day in the spring with the law students and the medical students and also physician assistant students where we will look at a problem and then approach it from an interdisciplinary way so that each group will be able to discuss the issue, the medical professionals or the medical students in training and the law students in training. And I am actually teaching bioethics. So I'm teaching bioethics this semester, which is a lot of fun, which keeps me busy, but it's a lot of fun to be in the classroom with the students. And of course the issues associated with bioethics are always timely whether um, always, always in the news, always in the news from birth to death and everything in between. Absolutely. I'm so excited to hear about your multidisciplinary practice, your MLP with the vet clinic, medical legal partnership. We did some of that when I was at William & Mary with psychology students and professors because we were working on a lot of the uh, psychological injuries and uh, traumatic brain injuries with veterans. And it's so essential, but it's so infrequent that we have the professionals from both disciplines talking, and yet it's so much better for the client. So that's terrific. Have you seen an increase in students availing themselves of the joint JDMD since COVID? So we, we always have a steady stream, I think. So this year, we and, and I think we only take four, a maximum of four students each year. So oh, we do. okay. We do have them all in the pipeline. So there's someone who started this year and somebody who's graduating and in between. And yeah, that's a pretty cool group of students. So yeah, some come in knowing that they uh, will practice medicine, but just want the legal background and the policy. Um, and then some have said they don't want to, don't want to practice medicine but want to use their, their medical knowledge to inform them as attorneys. So it's pretty exciting to, to work with that group of students. Well, that is, that's very cool. So before we conclude, I just wanted to ask you, as I ask all our guests, um, what are your predictions for the future of legal education in the coming decade? Where do you see us going? What an exciting and amazing question. I certainly think COVID took us places where we never imagined that we could go. And I know that St. Mary's is in the, 
beginning stages of their online program. And I think we're going to see more of that, more hybrid, more online. As we look at the pipeline of folks who have gone through undergraduate in non-traditional ways, I believe that legal education is also going to have to figure out how we deliver in non-traditional ways. So technology is going to be important as we look to the future. Also, I think once upon a time, students had an opportunity post-graduation to learn on the job. And I think in the 21st century, there's an expectation that when we graduate our students, they're expected to know more and be able to do more. People are expecting that they should not have to pay people while they are learning on the job. And so I think we're going to have to adjust to that as well. We all, of course, are sitting and wondering and thinking about the next gen bar and how that will play out with our curriculum and what we all will need to do and adjust in our curriculum along the way. But I think there's some exciting and wonderful opportunities as we look toward the next decade. And I look forward to seeing where we go as a profession. Well, I look forward to watching right alongside you. And uh, I'm, I'm pleased and proud to have you as part of the class that started um, as a dean with me. And it's so exciting to hear all the things that are going on at SIU. So thank you, Dean Davidson, for joining us today. Thank you so much, Dean Roberts. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This has been another episode of EdUp Legal with your host, Patty Roberts. EdUp Legal is part of the EdUp Experience podcast and network, bringing you the brightest and most influential minds across higher education and beyond. Here at EdUp, we make education your business.